have said, well, just hang on a moment. Give me an opportunity to have a say in this. No, 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 no. His name will be Jesus. And then when his, this is another unique thing, when his name is Jesus, in actual fact, it'll, it'll be Jesus Christ, but it'll actually be Emmanuel. That's another name for him. So he'll kind of have two names. And, and the name Emmanuel, of course, will mean God with us. So you could, all these things. You could say that these events were kind of strange and weird, but because there's some very good reasons for these events, there was a purpose in all these events. And so I prefer, as I've said already, to call Jesus and his birth unique. And, the, and to be unique in that it was exceptional and exclusive to anyone else on earth. No one else, and not one of us, have been conceived by the Holy Spirit. And not one of us have had this kind of different birth process. But Jesus, actual fact, was the only one. Only one in all of history that had this type of uh, process happen. And so I prefer to call it unique. You know, Jesus Christ is unique. The name Jesus Christ is unique. It seems to be that even people uh, who maybe don't have a belief that much in Jesus Christ, you know, the name Jesus is even, or Christ, is even used as the preferred swear word, isn't it? You never get anybody say, Oh, Buddha. Oh, Muhammad. Oh, Krishna. No, it seems to be, uh, oh, Christ, when maybe they hit their thumb with a hammer or whatever. So, you know, why is his name? Is there something that we're missing about Jesus? So, like, gather in a crowd like this, there's probably all of us realize that he's unique, but let me stir your thoughts about how unique he is today. Let me ask you the question, do you really know how incredibly unique it is? Because I want to um, approach it this morning and just share with you, Jesus is incredibly unique, exceptional. Um, he's exclusive to no one else. Um, so here's one of the reasons. Here's the first thing I want to just share. Christ's uniqueness, his coming was pre-announced unlike anyone else in history. Pre-announced. Um, you might find, oh, well, yeah, I kind of know that. But let me just give you some thoughts. When I say pre-announced, I don't mean by nine months, by the way. It's not like, you know, when you have a baby and you're kind of like about two weeks into it or four weeks a month and you go and tell your parents or your, some loved one, hey, I'm pregnant, I'm pregnant. You know, it's, an, it's not like pre-announced in that way. The pre-announcement was through historical record of what we see was people prophesying or foretelling about Christ's birth. Matthew actually says in um, chapter 1, 22 and 23, um, that Isaiah the prophet said, the Lord will give you a miraculous sign. So this is, and the virgin is going to have a baby and she'll give birth to a son and he'll be called Emmanuel. See, Isaiah wrote those words hundreds of years before Christ was born. That's pretty amazing. How did he know that? Well, God obviously put in Isaiah's heart. That's why he was called a prophet, a foreteller of future events. And it said, and he says, you know what? She's going to be a virgin. Amazing, hey. I'm not quite sure why Joseph didn't make the connection, you know, before, so that he didn't need the angel to tell him to marry the lady. Uh, but anyway, maybe it was all very quick and Joseph was confused. But even there's a, there's a prophet in the Bible, one of those smaller books in the Old Testament, in Micah 5.2. And it says, But you, Bethlehem, though you're small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come one who will be a ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. 
Micah wrote that 700 years ago, before Christ. 700 years. He talked about the birth of Jesus. Will come, he will be born in Bethlehem, and out of Bethlehem will come a ruler. It was Jesus he was talking about. So history is full of people who claim they had a message from God. Think about this. History is full of people who claim they have a message from God, uh, and they claimed that they were God. And uh, Buddha, Muhammad, Confucius was another, Krishna, uh, and of course Jesus. And so the question I'd have to ask you this morning is this. How can we determine who's telling the truth? How can you determine this morning that we're following the right faith today? How can you determine today that, that you know, all the other belief systems in the world aren't right and we're wrong? Well, let me just share with you. I'm glad you asked the question. Because there's the test of reason. See, the reason says that if people were truly from God, the least that God would do is pre-proclaim their arrival. Okay? The reason it's a reasonable, the reason it is reasonable to think this is because making a claim about something and then seeing that claim come to pass makes the claim worthy to be believed. Okay? And trusted. But it stands to reason if someone makes a claim and then the claim never comes to pass that there's a good reason and that's not to trust that person in their claim. Would you agree? So we see it happen all the time in our society. Companies make pre-proclaimed, um, uh, doc, you know, they pre-proclaim the item they're about to, uh, you know, present to people. Apple does it really well. Six months before, or however months before they put out a new iPhone, what do they do? They make this big pre-proclaimed announcement. They, you know, they, they show you the new phone up on the screen. They say, this is what the phone will do. It'll take, it's got a better camera. It's got all these facilities. It's got um, you know, um, um, fingerprint sensitivity to open it and all these type of things. And everybody who's Apple mad goes, wow. And thousands of people turn up at the front door you know, at 5 o'clock or 3 o'clock in the morning or the night before to make sure they're the first to get in the Apple store to get the latest phone. Apple would do it really well. It's called pre-marketing, isn't it? And they, they know how to do it. Sometimes we see car you know, dealerships do that as well. They pre-announce their model coming out and they tell everybody about it and everybody, kind of, not everybody, but people go and grab one. So we see it happen in society. Now, if God sent someone from himself, it would be reasonable to let people know that so that they can get ready to, and expect and to know what to expect. And down through history, that's why... Um, you know, when Jesus was finally born and Mary and Joseph brought him into the temple at eight days of age, Simeon said, I've seen what they prophesied hundreds of years ago. This is the moment. There's a lot of Jewish people waiting for the Messiah to come. They knew about it. So God went further than just telling him about the birth. Jesus actually tells everybody where he will be born, Bethlehem, the message he would preach, the friends he would make, where what he would stand for, and the type of death he would uh, finally die of. All these things are mentioned, pre-proclaimed, pre-announced, hundreds of years before Christ was born. Everything. They really give quite... If you, if you look, you'll find all this information about Christ. So if, then if God can do that, then it's reasonable to realize that any imposter could appear... Um, I'm sorry, if God didn't do that it would be reasonable to realize that any imposter could appear and say, I'm God. 
or I'm the son of God. If God didn't make it so clear and so precise, Bethlehem, Jesus, Emmanuel, born of a virgin, all these things. This is how we'll die. This is how we live. So yeah, there, was a, there was a time in history, Muhammad actually says, he proclaims about himself after the fact that he was on a, in a desert and an angel came and spoke to him and he wrote down all these verses and all these thoughts. But you know what? No one pre-announced that. He just said it about himself. Do you know I find a real test of authenticity about your life is you don't have to tell people what you've done. Other people will proclaim it. Jesus didn't have to go around telling everybody, this is what I am. And no, no, no. You know, other people were proclaiming it. That's the test. So we see people like Buddha, Muhammad, Krishna had no one to pre-announce their arrival as they just simply turned up. So Jesus, it was different because Jesus was more willing to undergo the test of pre-announcement. And we find many recorded manuscripts. Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies. Over 300 prophecies about his birth, his life and his death. He fulfilled them in his 33 years of existence on the face of the earth. There are dozens and dozens of other prominent people who also pre-announced Jesus' birth. There's a guy called Tacius. He lived 58, in 58 AD. So after Christ um, you know, had been born and died. So 58 years after Christ's birth, Tacius, a Roman senator, he said this. I love this what he said. This is in the height of the Roman Empire. He said, people were generally persuaded in the face of the ancient prophecies that the East was to prevail and that from Judea was to come the master and the ruler of the world. Here is a Roman historian at the, Rome, at the height of the Roman Empire saying, we all fairly, we're all fairly convinced, weren't we, that there would come arise a Jewish ruler greater than everyone else that has ever gone before him. He's proclaimed that. What an interesting thing. Hundreds of other scholars have done the same thing, many of them. And so it's a great proof of the reality of Christ's birth because his, his coming was announced over and over and over and over. History confirms it. I uh, always remember there was one announcement that I missed as a young man of 10 years of age. I remember the day I was sitting in my class at, at a primary school here in Gladstone and beside me was my good friend, Andrew, um, and... Uh, my mother came to the front door. Now, as a 10-year-old, the last thing you want to see, you know, as a little boy, as a boy of 10, you know, was to see your mother turn up the front door because they're like, oh, what's she doing here? Anyway, she turns up at the front door. I'd forgotten my lunch, made it doubly shameful for me. And she's passing it over to the teacher, talking to the teacher. And, my, and after she'd had the conversation, she kind of smiles at me and I go, g'day. <laughs> and she goes, and, and my friend Andrew says to me, is your mum going to have a baby? And I said, no, she's just fat. That's exactly what I said. That's, that's the words I spoke. No, she's just fat. That's exactly what I told everybody about my mum. She's just fat. You know, you've got to remember that I've had three older sisters. I've never had the opportunity to know my mother pregnant. Okay? So I didn't understand it. I'm glad she gave me a book and told me about the birds and the bees one day. That was a good, good day. But I didn't up to this point. So at the age of 10, I'm like, my mother's just fat. Um, that's what happens when you get older. You just get fat. And uh, <laughs> I'm getting older, so I, you know. Uh, so two weeks later, my mother must have caught wind of what I've been telling everybody. She sits me down and she says, I just wanted to tell you I'm going to have a baby. I'm like, you're joking. Do you realize what I've been telling? She says, yes. 
So stop telling them that. <laughs> and tell them I'm going to have a baby. I said, I was completely blown away. I was so innocent. And, you know, 10-year-old boys are pretty naive. And so, uh, and so right then I had a revelation. I, and I said to my mom, this is the words I spoke to my mom after I, she said that to me. I said, you should have told me I would have been a better boy. And what I really meant was I would have been more, I realized somewhere in my head, I realized that being pregnant meant, you know, it's a little bit harder to get around and it's harder to do things as a mom. And somewhere I'd learned that lesson and I, and I was saying to mom, well, I would have cleaned my room when you said, mom, I would have done, a, I would have helped you with the washing up instead of, you know, waiting for another half an hour before I came and helped you. I would have been a better boy, mom, if you told me. And from that moment, I changed my purpose in life to help my mom because she had a baby inside of her and I thought I've got to be a better boy. That was my whole aim. It's amazing when you know, when someone pre-announces something, how much it changes the way you do life and the faith you have and it gave me a real strength to have a better attitude about how I did life I want to tell you the good news about our knowing the preeminence of Christ is it strengthens our faith in a troubled world because if God can organize the birth of his son so minutely and so well how much can he organize and help me in my life in what I don't know about the future and will never know until I walk into it how much can God help us how much can we if we could trust him to do what he did for his son how much could we trust him to do what he can do for us in our un a world of uncertainties. Because we don't know what 2019 holds. Or even the end of this month, this year. It's only another you know, 30 days and this year's finished and a new year is upon us. Jobs are needed. Sicknesses that we're not sure where it will go in the months to come. I mean, I've got a precious sister with a cancer, two types of cancer. My goodness, I'm thinking, Father, what's, what's the future hold? Families... The issues that are uncertain, a nation that has changed its moral laws, what's going to happen to this nation of Australia? But I want to tell you this morning, we can place our trust in a God that can so well organize his son's life and his birth and his life and his death. Why can't he just, he can organize and help us to live life to the best as well? I find that incredibly comforting. Like I, I don't have to just trust every, poli- I mean, I trust our politicians to a certain extent. I don't have to trust just people. I can trust my God because he's such a great organizer of life. And maybe you're here this morning, you've never put your trust in him. You know, God says you can. You can. So if there's one thing about the pre-announcement of Christ is that God is good at organizing and he knows. He knows the future. And even though I don't, I can trust the God. I can trust him with it. Here's the second thing as we Move on here. Here's the second thing I love about the birth of Christ. Jesus' birth split time in two. We all understand that. We talk about B.C. and A.D., don't we? B.C. meaning before Christ. A.D. meaning a Latin term, which means in the year of our Lord. And so every time, here's the point. Jesus actually is the focal point of time. Okay, He's the center of it all. He's the center of it all. You know, in the early centuries... They used to think that the sun revolved around the earth. Thankfully, there was a guy called Galileo or someone along those lines who said, no, 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 that's not true. They ended up, uh, um, um, uh, they, they uh, kind of, uh, what did they do? They martyred some of those guys who said, no, 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 it's not true. Uh, the sun doesn't revolve around the earth. The earth revolves around the sun. The sun is the center of it all. And you know what? As it's true in nature, so it is with the, the whole story of Christianity. We revolve around the sun. 
And people are yet to understand that reality that we revolve. Your life, God is incredibly gracious to people who don't acknowledge him. He still lets them live and breathe and have life because he, he's holding out that they would come to him and realize that our life goes so much better when we put him at the center of our life. And so we see Jesus is the focal point. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, there's a book in the New Testament called Galatians, and it says, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons and daughters. Galatians 4, 4 says the fullness of time had come. God sent his Son. Fullness means ripe. In other words, everything that had been happening in human history up to this moment was happening that Jesus, so that Jesus could be born in the downstairs animal enclosure in that incredible night in Bethlehem, that little village in Bethlehem. Everything in history has been moving towards that point. Now, not everybody in history was thinking that, but it had been. That point in time when everything would be B.C. and A.D., because of the birth of Christ. Everything was building and building. Jesus was finally born and everybody's relationship with God at that moment had opportunity to be changed forever. Because remember, they were under Old Testament Levitical law. Now it's Jesus' birth brought in a new grace and mercy. It wasn't that we did away with the rules and laws. It's just that it embraced them, but it, used, and it displaced them to us in a different way, that we could live in a different way. So instead of getting trying to get right with God and appease, appease God. Now Jesus made a way through his life that we could be made right with God and accepted by God forevermore. And it wasn't just what we do anymore that made us right with God. It was what he did on our behalf that made us right with God. And so Jesus quite literally spit, split time. It's interesting that 32% of the people in this world today believe in Jesus Christ. That's, a, that's kind of close to the third of the population of the world, believe in Christ in some way. Maybe not all go to a church or anything, but they believe in Christ. Interesting. Jesus, who was born in the backwaters of Judea, he, was, um, he died at 33, never wrote a book, didn't write his life journal, uh, his biography, traveled, didn't travel more than 160 kilometers from where he was born. Um, and yet 2,000 years later, 32% of the earth's population have a belief in him. That's pretty amazing, hey? Pretty amazing. Even the best of the best leaders on this earth haven't got that following. Uh, so that's Jesus. So we can't deny the impact that Jesus had on the world. And every time we share our birth date, we're acknowledging the birth of Jesus. I was born the 17th of February 1963. What is that acknowledging? It's acknowledging the reality of his existence. Every time I share that, my birth date acknowledges his existence. And it, for you as well, you're the same. Here's the last thing in regards to Jesus' uniqueness. He lived his life backwards. He lived his life backwards. Revelations 13.8 says, The Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Just, just think about that verse. Who's the Lamb? It's talking, referring to Christ. Remember Old Testament said that they, they, to, for the forgiveness of sins, they had to slain, you know, kill a lamb, take it to the priest. The priest would do the job. And they'd be forgiven for sins for another 12 months. They do it every year. Jesus now became that one and only lamb that was slain for all good, no more needing to, to kill lambs. Um, from the creation, he was, it was, and it says, he was slain from the creation of the world. In other words, the truth is, even before Jesus was 
sorry, even before the world was created, Jesus had agreed he would be slain as a sacrifice for sin. He knew his destiny, didn't he? He was there in the beginning from the time that when God was creating the earth and creating the heavens and creating the fish and creating then ultimately human humanity, Adam and Eve. Jesus was there and from the very whatever that time was, from the very beginning, Jesus knew that his destiny. And so the cross cast an enormous shadow over the manger. In other words, over the birth of Christ. Because have you ever thought that without the cross, without the cross, there's no reason for the birth? In other words, Jesus had no reason to come. God had no reason to send him to earth if it wasn't for the destiny of the cross that he was going to uptake if it wasn't for the cross he was never going to die for humanity there would have never been a reason for his birth his death Jesus' death was not interruption to his career it was his destiny that was his career it was the point of him coming into the first place it wasn't a terrible end really it was a glorious beginning for us it wasn't a terrible end it was a glorious finish to his life in some senses I know physically speaking it was horrific Physically speaking, it was beyond what we men should have to endure, or a woman have to endure. But for reality, it was a glorious finish. And have you ever, have you ever thought about this verse, what we read this morning? Matthew 1, 21. She will give birth to a son, talking about Mary, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their what? Sins. Before, even at his birth, it was prophesied. His destiny is death because he's going to save his people from the sins. From the moment Jesus was called Jesus, his death was part of his life. You can, and the truth is, if you can't understand Jesus' death, you'll struggle to understand his birth. Because they were connected. And if you can't understand the death, then his birth is just maybe a sentimental story that actually is just a bit weird. Because all these weird things happened, an angel was involved, and Mary apparently didn't know any man, and she was, Holy Spirit kind of put the seed within her stomach, and all oh, that seems weird, but it's not weird. When you understand what he was destined for in his death, it gives clarity to his birth and all the interesting things. And so they're not weird, they're just incredibly unique, because there was a reason for his birth, because of his future destiny. And the strange events only make sense in the light of the understanding that the manger is covered by the shadow of the cross, in a sense. He lived his life backwards because the cross was overshadows his birth. He knew his, what his future hold. And when you think about it, that's pretty amazing. You know, we live from the known to the unknown. We know what's happening now. We're not quite sure what's going to happen in the next hour. But Jesus quite literally knew. He, he lived his life from the known to the known. He knew what was going to happen. He knew his future. He knew every you know, part of it. It's quite amazing, isn't it? And the story, and, and it's interesting because of the, the light of the reality of what happened. Jesus, if you think about this whole the, the, the connection between his birth and his death, Jesus was called the bread of heaven. So it was appropriate that he was placed in the feeding trough after birth. Just some thoughts I had, analogies. Jesus was buried in a stranger's tomb. How appropriate he was born in a stranger's stable. And the more you look at the birth of Christ, the more you see the death of Christ. And you see the connection. I, um, 
I was just reading some historical facts, but you know today you can go to Bethlehem and you can go to a church that's been built. Now, they say this, that is the place where Jesus was born in Bethlehem, okay? Now, we can't be totally sure, so I'm not going to even try and give you some story that says it's definite, but it's interesting. The story behind it's interesting because there's this church apparently built over the place where Jesus was born in the stable there in Bethlehem. And as you go into this church, it's just a little building and you go and at the right at the front of the church, somewhere up here, there's a cave. So they've built it over this structure of a cave. And they say in that cave or in that place is actual fact where Jesus was born. Okay, so maybe the stable was some kind of built over some kind of rocky formation. The thing about the cave, you can walk into the church normal, but when you get to the cave, this is a fact, when you get to that little cave, you've got to stoop down to get in there like this and see the place where Jesus was supposedly born. And I want to tell you if there's one thing about the Christian faith and your belief and my belief today in Jesus, it has to be this, that we've got to stoop. Not stoop because we're no good, but to stoop to see, stoop in humility, stoop in surrender. If we're truly going to receive Jesus into our life, we're truly going to come to Christ. It's a, it's a humbling of ourselves and receiving the truth and accepting it, stooping, bowing our heart today and saying, you know what? I give up my prideful thoughts. I give up what I think and I take on the, re- the truth and the reality of Jesus Christ and what he's done for me. And it's a bowing of our hearts. And while it's a physical thing for that little cave and that little church there in Bethlehem that you've got to stoop down to see, it's a bowing today of our hearts to him and saying, I surrender. I surrender. Can we stand this morning as we complete our service? The reality of Jesus, you know, the truth is, it looks pretty weird when you read that story, but I think it's incredibly unique. And I think it was unique and all, for all the reasons that I've mentioned, because there was a destiny and a purpose for Christ and what he came. And you know, you and I were his destiny in, in the future. We were his future. He died for us, humanity and all of us. And I'm very grateful for that this morning, that I have a, a destiny of salvation and heaven is bound and I wonder today where you stand um, with Christ. Would that be a destiny that you would embrace and say, yep. Because it says if we believe in our hearts in the Lord Jesus Christ and just confess him with our mouth that God uh, would receive us and accept him as a, uh, us as a child. Maybe you have a belief, but you've never actually come and confessed and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never kind of walked that path and you've never come to that point. The Bible just says very clearly, it just, it's just a heartbeat away. It's just a, a, a desire. It's a, you know, and we try and articulate that. And we say, well, it's a prayer away. It's just a sincere prayer of saying yes to Jesus and no to this world. Yes to Jesus and all that he's done for us. So I wanted to give you an opportunity this morning. And it's, it's we just maybe all of us just for a moment close our eyes, I want to ask you, where do you stand today? Can you see the uniqueness of Christ um, and what it led to was so that we could have a future and a hope? And if you're here today, I'd love to pray for you where you are today. And, and if you say, want to say yes to Christ, a very special just a moment, I, I, 
would you just lift your hand? I'll see that hand. You can put it down and, and I'll just lead us all then just in a simple prayer. But if you say, yep, I want to, I've never done this before, but today I want to do it for the very first time. I want to say yes to Jesus Christ. Next. Could you just raise your hand? I'll see that hand. You can put it down again. And maybe you're here today and you've done that before, but you realize you need to reestablish that relationship or you need to get it right with God again today. Can I ask you just to lift your hand? Thank you. I see that hand. Is anybody else today just in that situation? You know, put your hand down. Thank you. Anybody else? To reestablish that. Great. Any? No, we're good. Well, how about for the sake of one person, we just pray a prayer. Is that cool? I often make this prayer my own every time because I just want to make sure. I, I, just, I am sure, but I just love to say, Father, I surrender afresh. So for that one person that they would just repeat after me and we could all do that together, that would be really helpful. So let's do it right now. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning just as I am. And I thank you for sending Jesus. This Christmas, help me to understand all that that means for me. And so right now, I confess with my mouth that the Lord Jesus Christ died for me and rose again to take my past and failure and my sin so that I could have eternal life. I now receive His forgiveness. I now receive His love and ask you to help me walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, I thank you this morning for every person who's prayed that prayer, but I particularly thank you for the one person who's raised their hand. I ask your encouragement, your strength. Holy Spirit, quicken and give a revelation of that understanding today that's been shared from your word, which is powerful. I thank you, Father, and I pray. Father, strengthening of her in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for every one of us today as we walk into this Christmas. Lord, that we'd be ever so aware, uh, Lord, that Jesus, you're just more than the reason for the season. You're the reason for life itself. And that, Father, we'd walk in that. We'd be very willing to share that when people kind of question or talk to us. And, Father, we commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. How about we just worship one more time this morning, sing this song. That would be brilliant. And let's just declare it.